Okay, so today, uh, first of all, hello, Amanda. How you doing? Well, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking uh, t making time out of your day uh, for this uh, interview. I know our students are really, really excited. So you're the director for of U.S. business over at Quantum, and I understand you've managed and worked in a wide variety of campaigns uh, focusing on countering violent extremism, violent Islamic extremism for over a decade now. Uh, perhaps we can start by having you share maybe a little bit about your background and how you became interested in violent Islamic extremism. Uh, first, thank you for having me. It's an absolute honor. I will, I'll try to give a little bit of quick background. Um, so I was born in San Antonio, Texas. I'm an army brat. My dad's a retired U.S. Army colonel. Uh, I'm half Lebanese. So growing up, it was, uh, it wasn't uncommon to hear about violent Islamic extremism over the dinner table. But uh, naturally, I wasn't interested at all. Uh, it was something that I couldn't relate to. I couldn't connect to. It wasn't on the news. Um, but then uh, I was uh, fast forward. I'm studying in college. I'm studying marketing and interested in media. I'd interned at National Geographic in their digital advertising department. Uh, and this was back when websites were relatively uh, relatively new concept, which is kind of a funny thing to think about now. Um, but then 9-11 uh, happens. And that next summer, I got on a plane and went to Beirut and studied at AUB and absolutely fell in love with uh, with that experience. Um, but then the next year, my my dad was deployed in Iraq, and he was he was in the Al Rashid Hotel when it was attacked. So he came home and was uh, treated at Walter Reed for quite a while, and he made a full recovery, fortunately. But um, but. Uh, Rather than violent Islamic extremism being a foreign concept that I'd heard about around the dinner table or something I'd heard about in a classroom or on the news, it became something uh, that now had personally impacted my life in a really big way. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and thank goodness that, that he made a full recovery. Uh, that must have been absolutely awful. Um, so, and, and I kind of hate to keep the questions rolling after you sharing an, an incredible personal story like that. So first of all, thank you again. Um, but one thing I also want to ask, so you have this background in um, understanding and studying violent extremism. You have a background, you know, in the Middle East. Um, then how specifically did you get into PSYOPs or into uh, MISO? Uh, after school, I started working for a DC startup that had one uh, you know, and this is like 2005, they had won several large contracts to execute uh, counterterrorism campaigns in the Middle East. Uh, the company was based in D.C., and they would, to execute their uh, contracts, they would always hire subcontractors, um, creative companies on the ground that would uh, create and disseminate the campaigns. And so, you know, while there, I learned a lot about the business of government contracting and the procurement process and while that was interesting to learn about, uh, what I really wanted to be doing, what I and what I really wanted to learn about was how the camp, how the campaigns themselves were executed. And so I left my U.S. employer and and I went local. Uh, I joined a Lebanese creative shop in Beirut. Um, they actually execute campaigns and traditionally had played that local subcontractor role. Uh, the company's name is Quantum. I'll tell you tell you a little bit about them. They 
they're a Lebanese company. They started out in Beirut in the early 90s as a traditional advertising agency. Uh, they they would take on local and international clients like, I don't know, Red Bull was a client, Cadbury was a client, other, you know, big household brands. Um, within within the quantum group of companies, uh, we have several wholly and partially owned subsidiaries. Each has their own focus. So we have a group that focuses on communication strategy consulting. We have a group that focuses solely on content creation. So that's everything from writing editorials to creating apps to books to films. We've got another group that handles media publishing and streaming. And then finally, there's a group that handles communication. So that's design, production, public relations, events, collateral, anything anything of that sort. Uh, so over the years, uh, I've been with them for a little over a decade. Um, we've hovered around 200 folks. And that includes that includes creative types. So that's designers, web developers, animators, creative directors. But we've also got historians, researchers, policy advisors. Uh, and uh, Quantum's really developed a reputation for transforming perceptions with both uh, opinion leaders and audiences. Uh, I should add. Um, I should add. Quantum's exclusive focus is the Middle East, and so now we've been creating campaigns to counter Islamic extremism for over 15 years. The vast majority of the employees are native Arabic speakers. And just given the realities on the ground, we're all personally vested in the issues and highly motivated to see the campaigns that that we uh, develop and execute work. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, wow. To ha have that kind of, you know, in-house expertise, um, you know, linguistic area expertise and everything else and have that perspective. That, that's incredible. Um, I was wondering, um, and I really appreciate that background, if you can perhaps share with us maybe an example of an online campaign. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. And if we've got time, I'll try to, uh, I'll try to tell you a story or two. Um, so one of the campaigns that, uh, one of the campaigns that we did, I developed with Google's jigsaw division and it was called the redirect method. Your students can your students can Google it. It's quite Googleable. Maybe some of them are familiar with it. Um, but the idea behind the campaign was to counter ISIS's recruitment efforts online. And so, to do that, we were focused on finding that very very narrow sliver of uh, online users that were actually looking to join ISIS. Uh, so it was kind of like a needle in a haystack. And there was uh, there's three elements of that campaign. I'll talk about each one of them a little bit. Um, we had uh, keywords, we had ads, and we had videos. So for the keywords, like I mentioned, we were trying to find like a super, super narrow um, audience online, which which runs counter to the way that most advertisers uh, are thinking about reaching their audiences. So normally you might be trying to catch a wider audience or bring more people to your product. And in this case, we were actually trying to whittle it down and, and cut out anybody that was doing a book report on ISIS or anybody that was just interesting and interested in learning more about what they were seeing on the news and actually find that person that was looking to join. So Coming up with the keywords, probably, I think it took us three weeks or a month. We spent a lot of time on that, trying to think about um, if you were joining, what would you be Googling? Um, 
once we had our keyword list set, uh, then then we will we got into ads. And so if somebody was to Google one of our specific keywords, uh, they might have been exposed to one of our ads. And I'll talk a little bit about the creative direction for those. So just like if you were, you know, if this was the 90s or the 80s and you're a drug user, and let's pretend the internet had existed back then. If you saw a say no to drugs campaign um, ad, you would never click it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't speak to you. And so we were trying to think of, uh, in terms of a creative direction, what would get somebody that was interested in joining ISIS to click on our ad? And so we studied, we studied, uh, we studied the look, the feel, and the creative direction of what ISIS was putting out. And we tried to come up with something that looked incredibly similar to that. So we used the exact same font. We used the same colors. We used uh, the same look and feel so that somebody looking at it might have, uh, we, we tried to dance a really fine line, but they might have mistaken our ad for something that ISIS put out so that they would be inclined to click it, right? And once once somebody would click that ad, then they would be exposed to a, um, a YouTube channel that we had created. And in that channel, we had several different playlists. Each playlist focused on a particular counter narrative. So for example, you know, one narrative that ISIS was putting out was about their military strength. And so we wanted, uh, we had one playlist that was focused on debunking that and just truly highlighting their weaknesses. Um, I should add none of the videos, none of the videos that we used were things that we created. They were all living on the internet um, before this campaign started. And the idea was that, uh, that they would be the most authentic, uh, authentic pieces of content to reach this particular audience. Mm -hmm. So this campaign ran for two months. Um, and in that time, it, it, it it truly was a huge success. The uh, it, it was it was awesome watching it actually unfold. Um, in the comments section, um, in in the videos that were in part of these playlists, we could actually see we actually had people writing um, remaining and expanding, which you know it's it's like if a Trump supporter writes MAGA. Like we had a, we we found somebody that uh, we found and reached somebody that was using a popular ISIS slogan, mm -hmm. um, and somebody, you know, somebody just doing a book report wouldn't be wouldn't be leaving a comment like that. Um, the 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 ads were the ads were so compelling. Um, we actually had people arguing over whether or not the campaign was sponsored by ISIS, which was kind of funny. Um, and it, it it caused sort of a stir, uh, sort of a, uh, a stir at YouTube. But people were people were complaining and saying, "How is ISIS using this platform to like blatantly advertise?" Which to us was like uh, inc an incredible compliment because it that's high it, praise. It, it, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> wow. We were like we were thrilled. We were like, "Oh my gosh, people actually think that our ads were created by ISIS." Perfect. Um, but the fact that they, the fact that we had folks going back and forth in the comments section, arguing about whether or not the content was in favor of ISIS or or uh, or debunking them was awesome. And you think about, you know, 
how many people passively watch content, that's one thing, but the, the percentage of those that actually engage is considerably less. So the fact that we had um, so much engagement to us was, uh, was incredible. And, um, you know, your student, your students, um, this campaign, uh, this campaign is readily information about it is readily available online. There's a how-to guide in terms of how we how we created it, how it can be adapted for other purposes, other target audiences, other problems. Um, it's called the redirect method. So if your students want to Google that, um, it should it should come up pretty easily. And in there, they'll find success metrics and everything else. That is awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, uh, go over that with my students um, and provide them uh, URLs if, they, if for some reason they can't find it. But I trust they can find it very easily. I, I could find it very easily. If I can mm -hmm. find it, they can find it. They're much smarter than me. Um, really interesting stuff. What um, uh, I was wondering if, um, you know, what sort of kind of roadblocks you've encountered while you're running this program uh, and is there anything that you can share so my students can learn uh, from those experiences? Something that we weren't expecting um, in this campaign was that, you know, all, all of this content's in Arabic. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give an example of one particular piece. We had, we found a video that had a defector explaining his experience living in the caliphate and you know there's there's a long part of i think the video was long it was like 45 minutes long and one you know we all know people don't have uh long attention spans but you know he spends the first half of it talking about his experience living in the caliphate and then you know halfway through or somehow towards the end he says but you know Everything that I was, you know, everything that I was told, everything that I was promised ended up being a lie. And, you know, I was told that this would happen and it didn't. And I was told these would be my living conditions and they were different. And I was told that my assignment would be to do X, Y, Z. And it actually was, you know, was something I was horrified to do. So it was, it was really a powerful video. Um, and in terms of, in terms of finding and curating videos like this, like there's not many right? Mm -hmm. Like not, not many defectors are jumping on YouTube and telling their stories. And right. so for us finding this video that was just living on the internet was awesome. But, you know, there was a couple pieces of content that we'd found like this. And one of the problems we weren't expecting was that they kept getting pulled down. So, you know, with, with uh, social media, we all have the ability to flag things that violate the terms, uh, that violate the um, the guidelines stipulated by the particular platform, and so when users would watch, they would instantly, you know, they wouldn't get to the end, and then they would flag the content as something that was inappropriate or, you know, something that should be taken down. And then um, the review process, you know, it's it it heavily relies on. And humans, it's their judgment calls. And yeah. so when something gets flagged, it goes to a human. And if that person doesn't watch the entire thing, then they, 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 they allow the piece of content to stay offline. Um, and then you can appeal that and then, you know, escalate it. And um, we, we hadn't quite anticipated 
how much of this content would end up getting yanked offline, which was actually, uh, it was problematic. Um, and so in terms of, in terms of techniques and things that we had thought of, we, we weren't able to implement, we weren't able to implement it with this particular program, but in executing a similar program in the future, uh, you know, there's a couple ways around that one. I think a lot of the social media companies, um, they know, I think in English, they're, the, you know, the review process has gotten much better. Um, but it's when you get into some of the foreign languages that I think they're still, uh, you know, they're still working on it. Um, you know, one, one way to get around that, if somebody wanted to leverage existing content that they didn't have control over is edit it. So rather than a 45 minute video, you know, we, we could have, um, we could have cut it down to the relevant five minutes or put some, put some captions over it or, or somehow made it more clear um, that this wasn't something that was promoting ISIS so that hopefully users would, would stop flagging it and then also somehow indicate to the reviewer that, no, this, this is not something that should be taken offline. In fact, it's something that, that we, would all, uh, we would all benefit by um, having online. And then the other way, you know, when, when leveraging, um, when leveraging a third party site, you, uh, you know, you have to abide by their rules. So one, one, uh, one other way to get around that is if you're trying to run a campaign is just own the platform and use your own platform. And then you, you get around having to rely on a third party. Absolutely. That's great advice. Um, so do you think it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's getting better because even the last couple of years, there've been some real issues, like you said, especially in, in other languages, uh, where companies like, let's say Facebook, for example, they seem to outsource a lot of, um, content review to, you know, 1099 without a lot of experience in, let's say, you know, violent extremism, political warfare, information warfare, anything like that. Um, and so we get a lot of, uh, things, legit things that get shut down. And then also, I guess so much time is spent sometimes on sort of false flags that, um, there are some things that probably should be taken down and are not, you know, flagged or they don't get to in time. Um, but do you see that the review process on, uh, third party platforms as, as overall getting better? You think, um, cause you said in English it was getting better. Um, do you think it's the same case? let's say in like, uh, India or, or in the middle East. You raised a, you raised a really good point and it's something that they, they are struggling with that hiring 1099s, you know, it's, it's fine to have the, I mean, I think, I think they've got a big challenge ahead of them in managing this because you hire a 1099 with the language experience fine, but it doesn't mean that you have the subject matter expertise to be making a judgment call on whatever it is, you know, that's, that's the nuanced, uh, nuanced aspect of the video that somebody's complaining about. Um, and so, uh, you know, are they getting better? Uh, are they getting better? I, I don't know. I think they've still got, I think they've still got a ways to go in terms of, in terms of figuring this out. Okay. Yeah, no, interesting. I, I appreciate that insight. Thank you. Um, now we're, we're a, a few minutes from closing and I don't want to take too much more time out of your day. So, um, I wanted to ask, um, you know, through the lens of, of a local partner, could you give, uh, my students and also interested faculty and staff listening in, 
Uh, any advice on how to improve the way that we conduct this, this war of ideas? Um, maybe consider thinking about fighting the war of ideas in the same way that the U.S. fights kinetically. And so what do I mean by that? I think it's, uh, it's common knowledge that the U.S. funds, arms, and supports local militias around the world to further U.S. interests. I imagine that there's operational orders provided with uh, clear objectives and some left and right boundaries. Um, you know, I understand the Syrian Democratic Forces are controlling eastern Syria and they're funded and trained by the U.S. They're engaged in combat operations. So I don't see why, why we wouldn't use a similar proxy force to do the non-kinetic information warfare that's needed and truly empower a local creative company, empower a local communications uh, entity to uh, to put these messages out in a way that 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 they don't feel micromanaged and allows them to respond quickly and rapidly and take the risks um, and respond uh, and and respond in the best way using the best techniques that they see fit on the ground. So, you know, just thinking about this, it it just seems almost goofy, like. I can't imagine anybody is asking a militia how many bullets they shot in one day. Mm -hmm. um, I can't imagine anybody's asking a local militia or getting nervous if they miss their target or um, telling them that, you know, assembling a group of people, telling them that they have an objective um, and let's just pretend they're shooting something for a week or a few weeks and then saying, thank you very much. That's all we needed. Um, but after after being in this space for over ten years, that's what's happening. In, that's what's happening in the information space. Um, local creative companies, local partners are being engaged on a case by case basis, and so it's just not effective. You pull a team together and ask them to execute one tactical, you know, one tactical project, and then you know what what happens if you you know, what happens if you don't continue to engage with a militia? The, you know, my assumption is the members are going to take their militia members are going to take their guns and go home. You know, so why, why would you not sort of want to keep the same, the same creative and communication expert teams intact, even if, you know, uh, to continue the analogy, there's nobody to shoot at for a few weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine in some of these you know, in some of these situations, there's, there might be lulls and there's times where nothing's happening, but you have the team, um, intact. They're getting to know each other, getting to know how to work together best as a team. And then, um, and then perfectly positioned whenever they see something and can respond to it versus, you know, the way that, uh, the way that the U S has been doing this for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years is completely reactionary. It's, Oh, you know, we we see something coming at us. Let's assemble a team, and now we'll develop a counter narrative. But when you're always countering narratives, you're almost giving credence to the narrative. And you know, so so many of the projects that uh, that I've worked on have involved uh, coming up with a concept and pre-testing and post-testing and doing target audience analysis. When 
you know, there, there's companies and groups uh, that have the inherent knowledge and the expertise to just act. And if they only had the leeway and they were given a, they were given a strategic objective and given some left and right boundaries, uh, I think, uh, I think, I think that's something worth considering. That's, that's fascinating. I think the, you know, using kind of the, the ISIS analogy, they, they are at least parts of ISIS seem to be um, mm-hmm. extremely risk acceptant and yep. extremely willing to uh, have disparate voices around the world amplified, knowing that sometimes they're going to get things wrong or people are going to go a little bit off message, but that's okay. Because in the end of the day, they, you know, they see governments and, and strategic communications as so slow, they can get inside that OODA loop at the local level. And so uh, what, what you're suggesting is, is, I think there's a genius in it, and there's also a simplicity and an elegance in it. And that is looking the same way that we do unconventional warfare or foreign internal defense, we should also look at strategic communications that way and um, engage voices that have, you know, have some record of success on a continuous and aggressive basis, uh, with impunity, with prejudice, um, especially because unlike, you know, the kinetic side of the house, you, you know, using your analogy, um, you know, yeah, maybe someone gets a little bit off message once or twice and, and, you know, um, but the chances are there's not going to be any crimes against humanity or anything, you know, nothing that's going to go really, really wrong. This is an area that, it, it just seems to me that it, it's quite insane not to be more risk acceptant, like you're suggesting. And and by the way, just for the people listening, I did not pay Amanda to say all, to, all the things she just said, because th- these are all um, things that we talk about. And the fact that, you know, you're, you're talking about the need to be more forward leaning, um, the need to, you know, you're also kind of immediately tying the tactical to the strategic and having sort of a global mindset where, Okay, we can think globally, um, act locally, and perhaps what we need is we need the you know the operational art, um, and provide our guys with enough um, you know uh, with enough trust and confidence to oversee and execute by with and through other you know actual people that that have watched that have influence in these countries. Um, and so their efforts can be amplified and that will look different in every country, uh, in every region, in every province too. So that's fascinating. Um, really interesting. And, and so in the last point, can you, um, do you have any closing thoughts about, um, you know, the, the tactical and the strategic, um, on how they connect? I mean, that's something that we try to wrestle with a lot in NDU. Certainly we, we don't have any answers, but I was wondering if you could, you have any uh, insights or advice? On something you just said, you mentioned that you know ISIS, uh, you know, sometimes got things wrong, and sometimes they did things that were absurd. We've all you know read and heard and seen some of those. But the thing that I think is interesting to keep in mind is, you know, the absurd thing that's outlandish and maybe didn't work, but you know makes you know, the front page of, uh, let's just say they're, you know, we think about, oh, if, 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 uh, 
if there was if there was something that went completely wrong and when it's off message and it was so goofy and absurd, it ended up on the front page of the Washington Post. Like ISIS would be thrilled if they failed so spectacularly that their their botched messaging ended up on the front page of the Washington Post because it's just more publicity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so their failures are not failures. Um and, you know, when you think about the risks in communication, just like you said, what's the worst that happens? It's, it's something's off message. Okay, you know, fortunately, uh, you know, lives aren't lost. And that can be, that can be course corrected relatively quickly. Um, in, terms of, in terms of connecting the strategic and the tactical, I think, you know, there's, there's two sides to comms. There's strategic, there's tactical. So in terms of thinking... If, if the, if, you know, thinking about this from the lens of a local partner, if the U.S. sets strategic long-term goals and can give a local partner left and right parameters and some funding and essentially say, here are our goals and some considerable leeway for the next, I don't know, year, you run the tactical. You know what the goal is. You figure out how to get there. And and there's not going to be a directive to use a particular, you know, particular uh, particular communication method. Uh, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of leeway for people to use their intuitive knowledge, their judgment and uh, and their network to to pursue to pursue whatever it is. The objective is just like you would give a militia. Absolutely. Oh, that that. That is tremendous. Thank you so much, uh, Amanda Nimmer. I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I know the students, faculty, and staff are going to be thrilled. I'm thrilled. I've learned so much. T taking notes here at the cyclic rate, uh, trying to be as quiet and listen as much as I can. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much for your time. Uh, please have a wonderful evening. Uh, please stay in touch with NDU. You are a friend of CIC's. Uh, CIC is a friend of yours. Um, we had you last year in 2019 before the epidemic or the pandemic. Uh, and we hope to get you again um, in the near future uh, when everyone's a little healthier. So thank you, Amanda. Well, for your students, thank you.